My subject is, you're not David. Because King Saul has continually rebelled against God's spirit, the Lord has finally removed his anointing and given it to a man after God's own heart. And because of this huge spiritual void that's now in Saul's life, an evil spirit now troubles the king's mind. And Saul's violent mood swings are becoming so severe that the king of Israel is quickly sinking into depression and paranoia. And while their king is preoccupied with his own personal problems, one of Israel's ancient arch enemies has been encroaching deep into Israelite territory. The Philistines have now actually set up a war camp right in the midst of Judah itself. And they are making constant threats against God's people. Backslidden King Saul, he's just as terrified as all of his soldiers are. And without any spiritual leadership, it appears that Israel's defeat is imminent. Israel has a gigantic problem because the Philistines have a gigantic champion named Goliath. This isn't the first time the Israelites have faced giants. And to be honest, their track record just isn't very good. When they were on the verge of conquering their promised land, 10 out of the 12 spies concluded that it was impossible to do so precisely because there were giants in the land. Here's what they said. There we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And as a result of that unbelief and doubt and fear, God let a whole generation wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Only after they died off did the Lord finally allow Joshua and Caleb to lead a new generation in to conquer the land. When Joshua conquered the Anakim, that's the sons of Anak, they relocated all those giants to five city-states in the south, one of which was Gath. And now a giant named Goliath from Gath descended from that same race of giants that they were so fearful of. He's threatening Israel again. And once more, fear and doubt have completely paralyzed the Israelites. But Goliath is not simply a giant. It's more than that. His armor is described in great detail for a reason, not just because it's heavy or large. He is armed, the Bible says, with a coat of mail, literally a breastplate of scales. So Goliath is a picture of the serpent, the snake, that defeated Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And when Adam failed, there was a promise given that someday Jesus, the seed of the woman, would one day crush the head of the serpent. And we are about to see David, who's just a young man at this point, but he's the ancestor of Jesus. He doesn't know that yet, but he is the ancestor of the Messiah, and young David is going to defeat Goliath with a head wound, just like Jesus will do someday. But right now, nobody sees that. Right now, every single day, Goliath issues the same challenge. He will fight whatever champion Israel selects. And whoever wins this one-on-one -on -one combat will win the victory for their respective nation. 
In the book of Numbers, Israel feared to enter the promised land because of giants, and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Now the giant Goliath has taunted them for 40 days, and they are once again failing the test because of unbelief. Now in reality, Saul, he should be Israel's champion against Goliath, After all, they chose him to be their king so he could go out before them and fight their battles. That's what the deal was. But right now, Saul is as terrified as his soldiers are. So God's about ready to raise up an unlikely champion to win the victory. And let me tell you, that is always what God does. What the enemy thinks he's got the victory over, God can cut through all the noise and all the distraction and all the unbelief and raise up a champion. That's what he always does. Those who served in ancient armies, they had to provide their own food, their rations. And so Jesse sends his youngest boy, David, to the Israelite camp with food for his three oldest brothers who serve in Saul's army. That's not a coincidence that David just happens to walk into the camp of the Israelites on the 40th day as the two armies once again face off and as Goliath once again issues his intimidating challenge. Goliath has been taunting the Israelites with the same threatening words for 40 days. The only difference on this day is that David heard those words. Up until now, everybody's heard the words and they're scared. But on this day, a young man with faith in God, he heard the same threat. And he also overheard the soldiers talking about the reward Saul promised to give whoever would volunteer to be Israel's champion. He would be given the king's daughter to marry. He would receive great riches. And his entire family would be forever exempted from paying taxes to the king. But it's not the reward that motivates young David. That's not what it is at all. It's his indignation to think that an uncircumcised Philistine dares to defy God and God's people. When David's oldest brother, Eliab, hears about all of his questions, he goes on the attack against David. He accuses his younger brother of shirking his responsibilities at home and of meddling in a battle that isn't his and of having a proud and arrogant spirit. But none of that's true. Eliab is just trying to divert attention from the fact that he as a soldier is shirking his responsibilities. He's the one along with all the rest of Saul's army and the king himself that are fearful, afraid, terrorized, panic stricken. David's older brothers, by the way, were really the first giants that he ever faced in his life because they said all kinds of negative things about him, but David refused to believe it. So David persists in asking questions and he says things like, is there not a cause? Like, what is going on here? Isn't somebody gonna do anything? And finally, King Saul hears about it. And now we see this strange sight, kind of comical. This young man is in the king's tent on the front of the battlefield and he's trying to comfort the king of Israel, this young boy. Don't lose heart, king. Don't be afraid, King Saul. I'll go fight the giant for you. It's ridiculous. But see, Saul's only able to see things from a human perspective. So he tries to discourage David. 
You're too young to even serve in the army. Goliath has been a soldier for many years. But see, David has something that Saul doesn't have. David has a track record of a bunch of smaller victories in God over the years. So he's confident that God can help him. He defeated a lion all by himself with the help of God. He defeated a bear all by himself with the help of God. He protected the sheep all by himself with the help of God. So you need to stop listening to what the devil is taunting you with and threatening you with and you just need to remember I won that victory in prayer it might have been small but let me tell you something if I won a small victory my God can save by many or by few I can win a big victory if I can see a little provision I can see a great provision if I can see a little miracle I can see a great miracle (laughs) it's amazing with God on his side here's what David knows It's not a fair fight. Victory is inevitable. Saul believes that power is found in armor and weapons, and that's why he is scared out of his mind. But David knows, I can't use Saul's armor because it doesn't fit me. And I can't fight the enemy like Saul because I would have lost. I've never used armor. (laughs) I've never used a sword or a shield or a spear. Those things would pose a greater danger to David than Goliath would. But David, from all those years spent out in the field, worshiping and singing and writing psalms and playing his harp and protecting sheep and fighting animals off, David was deadly with a slingshot. And David knew he was deadly with that little thing, so he wasn't afraid of the big battle. Every wild animal that attacked David's flock was a test sent from God. David could have sacrificed the sheep for his own safety, but he passed the test by risking his life for the flock. And in the process, David cultivated abilities that would change his destiny and change Israel's history. Now, it looks like David's got an obvious disadvantage. He wasn't even in the army. Surely it would take a trained soldier to face down a brutal fighting machine, a tank like Goliath. David didn't even know how to wield a sword or throw a spear because all he'd been doing is tending sheep and worshiping his God. That's all. But that perceived disadvantage actually gave David a great advantage over Goliath. Israelite soldiers were trained the same way that Philistine soldiers were trained, hand-to-hand combat up close. But nobody was going to defeat Goliath that way because he was a hulk of a man. So especially David couldn't because he was just a boy. He couldn't match Goliath's size or strength or skill. You can't fight a giant on the giant's terms. You have to change the rules of engagement and fight the giant on God's terms. The worst way to fight a giant is up close with a sword. You're going to get slaughtered. But the best way to fight a giant is with something small that you know from years of experience. From about 20 or 30 paces back, you take that slingshot that's been honed in the presence of God. God, doing God's work and worshiping God all the while and you take that and you don't ever come near the giant. The giant gets defeated from far away where he can't touch you. So it seems like David is totally unprepared but actually he's perfectly prepared. And while it seems like he had wasted his time herding sheep, protecting his flock and worshiping God and writing his little songs out in the valley It's critical to note, the battle with Goliath was not won 
in the valley of Elah. That's where the battle was fought. That's not where the battle was won. The battle was won years before when David built his relationship with his God. So the battle was won before David ever walked on a battlefield. That's how we win. Years before David had written these words, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. He leads me. You see that? He leads me. He leads me. He leads me. David had a relationship with God and then he says this, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death facing a giant on a battlefield, I will fear no evil because when I'm in the middle of the worst battle of my life, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. So Goliath, you got a whole big army, but I've got two of God's bodyguards. Surely goodness and mercy. They're following me right out into the middle of the battlefield all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and there's nothing you or the devil or anybody else can do about that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> when Goliath sees this kid approaching him, he laughs disdainfully. He has no idea who he's actually dealing with. This is not a battle between a massive giant and a little boy. This is a battle between a little teeny giant and a great big God. Only David had the proper perspective on Israel's enemy. And that's why he won. Several times in 1 Samuel 17, you can read it when you go home, we are told that Goliath has defied the God of Israel. Several times. And David is passionate about the name of the Lord. Goliath, over and over again, every day for 40 days, he has committed blasphemy against the name of the Lord. And blasphemy is a capital offense in ancient Israel, demanding death by stoning. And so stoning is precisely what David sets out to do on that day. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with all your weapons, with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you not with my little slingshot and a rock. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Now I want you to notice this. In 1 Samuel 17, three different times, the Bible says these words about Goliath. There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. Behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of Israel. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Three times. And the word translated champion in that chapter literally means man of the between. Because Goliath stands between the Philistines and Israel. But a decisive victory is won that day because David becomes Israel's champion, the man of the between, their representative, the man who dares to stand between them and their enemy. Now, I came with a different kind of message today. So far, we're good. So far, we're normal. So far, this is exactly what you expected. But that's not what I came to tell you today. It's a wonderful thing to be able to read this Bible, 
the scriptures and draw strength and instruction and inspiration and encouragement from the lives of God's people. After all, the Bible does give us permission to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul said, now all these things happen to them for our examples, our examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So we have permission. That's why there are so many Christian books about defeating the giants in your life. They're everywhere. We've got a glut of them. And all of these books, without exception, they all feature you as David and your problem as Goliath. And of course, in every one of these books, you are always victorious in the end. And Christian consumers buy them and Christian readers read them and pastors use them all the time to even develop sermon series and everybody lives happily ever after because that's the way it always should be. There are all kinds of them. I did a quick uh, Amazon search this morning. Courage to face a giant. Facing the giants. Facing your giant. Facing Goliath. Taking on Goliath. This is how I fight my battles. 12 ways to win against your giant. Giant killers overcoming the giants that rob you of your best life. Raising giant killers. Releasing your child's destiny. Slaying the giants in your life. And Goliath must fall. There's all kinds of them. And in every one of those books, you're David and your problem's Goliath and you always win, thank God. But if we're honest, we'd have to admit that it's not always quite that simple in life. Giants tend to be fierce foes and we tend to be fickle heroes who sometimes fail. We forget Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, which I just read. We forget that it's preceded by a long list of Israel's failures. And then it's followed by this statement. All these things happen to them for our examples. And then it says, wherefore, let him that thinks he standeth take heed lest he fall. You could lose that battle with that giant. You see, there's a type of Bible reading and Bible teaching and Bible preaching today where I'm always the hero. I'm always innocent Abel, never hateful Cain. I'm always loyal Abraham, never greedy Lot. I'm always faithful Joseph. I'm never his conniving brothers. I'm always brave Moses, never the rebels worshiping around a golden calf just a few weeks after God delivered me from Egypt. Oh, that would never be me. I'm always the three Hebrew boys who won't bow, never the multitude of Jewish boys who caved in to the pressure and went the way of the crowd. Never, not me. I'm always the disciple who follows, never the Pharisee who judges. I'm always brave Peter on the day of Pentecost, never the coward who denied Jesus three times because he was afraid. I'm always fearless David defeating the giant I'm never backslidden King Saul cowering in his tent and I'm certainly never the Israelite army shaking in their boots on the hillside while Goliath roars out his threats. Could we just be honest this morning? You're not always the hero. You're not always David. Sometimes you're the rebel, the coward, the Pharisee, 
the bad guy, the victim, the loser, the sinner, the failure. If you can't bring yourself to admit that, you're missing half the message of the Bible. Maybe the most important half. Because until you realize you're a sinner and a failure and sometimes a loser, you can't get God who is the holy and the righteous and always the victor. <laughs> Anything else is a misreading of the Bible that makes man the champion and God just kind of a service that we use. And that is the original lie from the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. You shall be as gods. That's what got us into this mess in the first place. Pastor Raymond, I thought it said in the Bible, we are more than conquerors. Oh yeah, that's in there, Romans 8 verse 7. Glad you brought that up. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. On your own, you're not more than a conqueror. On your own, you're not a great hero. On your own, you're not a great victor. But through him, you are more than a conqueror. And this is life and this is real. And for all of you that are watching online today, I have something to tell you that's very important. The reason your can-do attitude and your self-help books and your man-made principles and your worked-up courage, the reason those things aren't working is because they're not supposed to. You're not David. You've tried to kill your giant, but he keeps getting back up and throwing that spear and wielding that sword and pushing you back and threatening your life and striking fear in your heart. Do you know why? Because you're not David. You've been faithful and obedient and prayerful and hopeful, but you still have that sickness and you still have that fear and you still have that circumstance and you still have that issue in your family. The giant is still roaring. It doesn't seem to be working. The battle is still waging. Your strength is failing and your joy is fading. You know why? It's fairly simple. You're not David. Now many sermons have been preached from David's story and all of these books and they've all encouraged us to be David and battle the giants that plague our lives. In all of these sermons, in all of these books, we are David fighting against insurmountable odds and always winning with the help of the Lord. Please hear me. The real message of 1 Samuel 17 is not that you or you were called to be like David. The real message of 1 Samuel 17 is that we have a David. <laughs> we stand on that hillside with all of humanity, scared to death, easily panicked, scarred and bruised and injured and wounded by everything that the snake has done, everything that the giant has done. And we are terrified of all of his threats. And then we look down in the valley from our hillside of fear, our hillside of failure, and we look down in the valley and we see Jesus all alone facing the might of the entire Roman Empire, the entire Sanhedrin of Israel, standing alone, taken to Calvary. And he looks so small, 
and so weak and so frail and like such a victim as he hangs on that cruel cross. He has no weapons to fight with except himself and the name that he carries because that wasn't just a prophet on the cross. That wasn't just a teacher or a rabbi on the cross. That was God manifest in flesh on the cross. And the snake laughs with a sinister glee because he thinks he's already won. But he has no idea. In the valley called Elah, a boy named David stood all alone between Israel and their enemy. What is at stake is not just David's life, it's all of their lives. The outcome of his battle will be the outcome of their battle. They don't fight. They're not brave. They're too scared to fight. They're too weak to fight. All they can do is hope that maybe, just maybe, that little boy down in the valley looking at that hulk of a man, that great big giant, that gigantic obstacle, all they can do is hope that somehow, against all rules of logic, David will somehow pull a rabbit out of the hat and pull victory out of certain defeat. Their future literally rests on David's shoulders as he walks out a little young man, a little boy, to face Goliath. I got one better than that. On the hill called Golgotha, Jesus stands between us and our eternal enemy. What is at stake is not just his life. It is all of our lives. The outcome of his battle will be the outcome of our battle. He is our champion. He is the man of the between. He is the man that stands between heaven and hell, between the devil and humanity, and he does it on the cross. He literally hangs on the cross between us and our judgment, and our eternity literally rests on his shoulders as he faces the devil and hell and the might of an entire pagan empire. No wonder Paul said this in Romans. For when we were yet without strength, you weren't the strong one. You weren't the courageous one. You weren't the victorious one. When we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That was you. That was me. When the Philistines see that sling whirl around and they see that stone fly through the air and then they see that giant fall and then they see David walk up, this young man, he doesn't even have his own sword, only the Philistines have swords. He takes Goliath's own sword and he cuts off his head and when they see that, they flee. You know why? Because their champion's defeat means they are defeated. And when Israel realizes what has just happened, that their champion's victory means their victory, 
they surge forward with a shout and they pursue the enemy and they push the Philistines totally outside Israel's territory once and for all and take the spoil from their tents. David's victory brought them victory. Let me tell you something. Jesus' victory is what brings you victory. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be awesome. You don't have to always get it right. Jesus' victory is your victory. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, but he also conquered sin and sickness and evil. And so his victory becomes your victory. Romans chapter 16, Paul closes his great epistle with these words, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. What are you talking about, Paul? I'm saying that because Jesus won a victory, I can win a victory. Because Jesus conquered the devil, I can conquer the devil. Because Jesus shed his blood, that blood can give me healing. Because Jesus shed his blood, that blood can give me deliverance. Because Jesus shed his blood, that blood can take my sin away. Jesus won the victory. I didn't. I'm not David. He's David. Oh, I wish you'd worship the Lord at home. Join us and just thank God. He is the great victor. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Music, come on back. Would you just take a load off your mind and stop trying to discover the champion in you? And instead, discover the champion who is for you. That's what you need to do. You're not David. But Jesus became your David. Hebrews chapter 2. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. This is our realm. This is where we live. We're just flesh and blood. He also himself likewise. He didn't have to, but he wanted to. He took part of the same. He robed himself in flesh that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Who'd have thought that a little boy walking out onto a battlefield could have conquered that giant? And who'd have thought that one man dying on a cross could result in millions being ready for heaven? But that's exactly what happened. He destroyed the power of death. That is the devil. But here's the, here's the greatest part as far as the rest of us are concerned. And that's theology. Here's the practical. That's theological. Here's real life. He didn't just destroy the power of death and the devil, theologically speaking. He delivered those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The message of the Bible is not that you can be so great and have such a, an awesome life and be victorious over everything all by your little old self. And you're the hero in every story and the bride at every wedding. Congratulations, you're you. That is not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that we were sinners and we do struggle and we have fallen and we do fear. I'm not David, you're not David, but I have a David. You know a David. Oh, oh my goodness. He can free you from any bondage that is in your life right now. And I address every person that is watching this moment 
and I address every person that will watch this in the next few weeks. Jesus conquered the devil so you could conquer the devil. It's not your victory. It's you standing in his victory. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said, the preaching of the cross, including this preaching this morning, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, it's foolishness. The world thinks they've got so much else on the agenda and on the table right now. And they're concerned about so many things. I'm not saying those things are not important. I'm saying the most important thing you will come across this week is not in the media. It's in the word of God. The preaching of the cross, I know to the world, it's just foolishness. But see, unto us that are on the other side of this equation, we've already come through the door marked Calvary. And we know this Jesus. To us which are saved. This thing that's so foolish to the world, it is the power of God. Just a word for you. You've tried everything. Everything. You know it. Your friends know it. Your family knows it. You've tried everything. You've dabbled in so many things. After trying everything else, try the cross. <laughs> try Jesus. He never fails. He never loses a battle. Even when it looks like he and his church are outnumbered, he never loses a battle. So try Jesus. The last chapter of the last book in your Bible. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Oh yeah, I'm one of his descendants, but I was actually here before him. I'm the root and the offspring of David. And I am the bright and the morning star. And because I am, and because I won, and because there's no giant, no devil, no demon from hell that is greater than me, because of that, the spirit and the bride say come. But there has to be a response in your heart let him that heareth say, come, I want to get to Jesus. And let him that is a thirst come. Oh, you know you're thirsty. You've tried so many things. You know you're thirsty. You know that what you're partaking of right now doesn't meet your needs. It doesn't give you fulfillment. It doesn't give you joy. You know. So before you try something else that's going to fail you, try this Jesus who never fails. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I hope you're not offended, but you're not David. But I have good news for you regardless, because my Jesus became your David, and he won the battle for you. Everybody here in the building, would you lift your hands and begin to pray? Everybody at home, would you join us? You just need to kind of get out of your comfort zone at home 
and maybe just lift your hands sitting on your couch. Maybe just lift your voice sitting at your kitchen table and just worship Jesus because here's what I know. You may not be able to beat that diagnosis, but Jesus already paid the price for you to beat that diagnosis. You might not be able to win that battle over addiction, but Jesus already defeated the enemy that brought that addiction into your life. So you don't have to be David. Take a load of pressure off yourself. You don't have to be always good. You don't have to be always great. You don't have to be always strong. You're not David, but he's David, and he can win the battle for you. And his victory can become your victory today. Oh my goodness. Those of you that are here, if you just reach over to somebody else that's in your bubble, and if you begin to pray, those of you at home, same thing. Reach over to somebody. You're already there. Just reach over and let's pray together. Lord God, I speak a delivering word over your people. There is so much fear. There is so much sickness. There is so much bondage. There is so much addiction. There is so much panic. There is so much opposition. There are so many attacks. The enemy is fierce. The enemy has come down to earth with great wrath. He knows his time is short. But in the middle of an unprecedented attack from hell, we have an unprecedented champion in the name of Jesus. And so, Lord God, I'm praying right now you would move in every home. Right now, you would deliver every life. Right now, you would heal the sickness that the doctors say there's no cure for. Right now, you would raise up the person who who's been so depressed and so defeated for so long. They can't imagine anything different than eternal sadness. But you came to give them the joy of the Lord, which is their strength. Right now, Jesus, I pray you would do it in your mighty name, your all-powerful name. God, step out on the battlefield where we can't win and win the victory. Step out on the battlefield where we can't prevail. And Jesus, let your name prevail oh give God praise in this building give God praise in this building Hallelujah. thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus I give you praise I give you praise I give you praise thank you God just for one more moment just lift up your hands and just give God praise. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Sing that, team. Must come down every stronghold shall.